You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. I think I've told you guys before that I used to be a backpacker. Really into it, really avid, but then we had kids, the killer of all hobbies, right? And so we had kids and then the ministry really grew and then I got old. (laughs) And so I gave all my gear to Caleb and and that's okay. But uh, you may have been camping, backpacking, maybe hiking, whatever. You know, when you go on a trail, you might see something called a carn. And so it's basically a stack of rocks that somebody put there. It's obviously, it wasn't naturally formed like that, so it's a clear marker of some kind. See, when you go for a hike in the woods, you know, there's like the trees and the foliage, and then there's the clear dirt path, clear path. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll mark the path with blazes, Those paint markings on trees, those are called blazes, okay? So it marks a trail. But uh, there were times where we went backpacking in the Rockies and got up above the tree line. And when you get above the tree line, it's just sandy, gravelly rocks. There's no dirt path through foliage. There's no foliage. You're above the tree line. And there's no trees to put blazes on. So how do you mark the trail, where to go? And the answer is carns. And the way it works is once you get above there, you see a car and you go to the car and you get to that and you look for the next one, you go to that and you look for the next one, point to point. That's how they mark the trail above the tree line. Now, today what we have is what I call trail monkeys. And and these are stacking stone hobbyists, right? And so, you know, if you go to any party, you're like, we're not above the tree line. And there's these things all over the place, right? So first thing, stop it. I stop it. I was way into minimal impact backpacking, sometimes called no impact, which is actually impossible. So low impact. And when you do this, the goal is that the people that come after you can't even tell you've been there. And the reason why is because we go out into nature because we don't want to see the effects of man. We want to get away from the effects of man. So I was really into it. I had an entire book. I kid you not, a thick book devoted to one thing. It was entitled, How to Poop in the Woods. <laughs> Kid you not. I was not its actual title. The actual title, I can't say right now. But you get the idea. So that, there was a whole book just on that. And the point is, again, to not leave a mark. Leave no trace. Sometimes the phrase, take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but footprints. And evidently stacks of stones. So these are all over the place now, and I kick them over and scatter them. (laughs) Unless we're above the tree line. Because if it's an actual carn, if it's an actual tree marker, that would not only be rude, that would be dangerous. Hikers could get lost. Hikers could get hurt. And so what's going on with an actual carn is people who have gone before you have stacked some stones to mark the trail so that the people who come next don't get lost. Now we're going into the series called Stacking Stones, and it's the exact same thing. We're going to be spending six weeks in the book of Joshua. That's in the Old Testament. And, and what's going on there is there are these regular times in Joshua, and God had his people stack some stones. Sometimes it was just one stone set up, but well, a stack of stones, and it was a monument. It was a pointer to the goodness and the presence and the faithfulness of God. These were carns to mark the trail so that the people of God wouldn't get lost in the future, that they would remember. 
Now, before we jump into the book of Joshua itself, I need to do a little bit of catch-up so that we're all together on the same page because we have various levels of familiarity with biblical history, okay? So I'm going to do a a historical sketch of the Old Testament starting in Genesis, first book of the Bible. There we meet a guy named Abraham. Abraham is called the father of the Jews. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob gets renamed Israel. So Abraham is the father of the Jews. Abraham started out living in an area called Ur. Ur today is eastern Iraq. Okay, so it's a good bit to the east. God called Abraham and said, hey, leave your home country and go to a new place that I'm going to show you. It's called Canaan. Canaan is the modern day state, the national political state of Israel, that, that land there. So he was called to go there. In Genesis 12, verse 7, God says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So once Abraham gets there, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. And so he starts living there, but there becomes a large, in time span, interruption. And so what happened is there was a famine. There's other aspects of biblical history. I have to gloss over it for time. But there's a famine in the land. And in order for Israel, the growing nation of people, small but growing, in order for them to survive, they had to go down to Egypt. Egypt had food because they had stockpiled. So they go down to Egypt. Their favored guests there at first. Pharaoh that loved them died, a new Pharaoh, uh, and things turned sour. Now the Egyptians feel threatened by the, Is- the Israelis, the Israelites. Uh, it feels threatened by them. Uh, they don't like them. So they say, hey, the way to protect ourselves, we will enslave them. The Israelites become slaves in Egypt, like legit slaves. So then we get to the Exodus. <clears throat> in the Exodus, what you have is Moses. That's where Moses comes in and God uses him to convince that Pharaoh to let his people go. Now that Pharaoh is a, well, he's a politician and politicians like to flip-flop, right? Back and forth. And so Pharaoh's like, yeah, I'll let you go. No, he won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Back and forth. More plagues, more miracles. Eventually, his hand is forced. He lets the Israelites go. Of course, then he flip-flops, changes his mind, gets his army, chariots. They're chasing down. These are like recently emancipated slaves. So, so they, they, don't, they can't protect themselves. Now, the, this, the Israelites are up against the Red Sea, a body of water in front of them, and then the advancing Egyptian army behind them. They, they got nothing. They got nothing. And that's when God, remember, he splits the Red Sea. So he splits the water. So there's like a wall of water on one side, a wall of water on the other, and there's a dry ground like highway going through it. And the nation of Israel is able to escape. They go through on dry ground. And as the Egyptian army pursues them in their chariots, the walls of water come crashing back in and all the Egyptians drown. And that is how God delivered this nation of slaves out of oppression. So what happens next, here's a map for you. So in the upper left on the west there, that green part, that's the mouth of the Nile, very fertile, that's Egypt. The blue line is the route of the Exodus. It is approximate because that's a long time ago and we're not really sure, best guess. We're not, on the Schoolboy line on the left, we're not sure where they crossed the Red Sea. They crossed it, then they headed south down to Mount Horeb. Then they started up north and they got, got up to Kadesh Barnea. It's small, but you can see it there. Kadesh Barnea 
This happens in Numbers chapter 13. That is right on the southern edge of Canaan, which is the promised land. That's where they're headed to go in, and that's going to be their home again. It was before, it's going to be again. So they're headed in there, but they stop there, and they send in 12 spies. The spies, before you go into a land, you need intelligence. You need intel. So we'll send the spies in to figure out how we'll we'll go in. The spies do go in. They're in there for 40 days. When they're in there, they come back, they give a report, and they say, listen, the land is indeed good. It's flowing with milk and honey. That's a euphemism for like, this is a very fertile land. Evidently, there's a lot of green pastures for goats and cows, so there's a lot of milk. And then there's a lot of flowers, so bees and honey. Like, this is a fertile, great land. It's awesome. Oh, but there are giants in the land. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. We should by no means go up and take this land. We'll get destroyed. And in that moment, they lost their way. They lost their way. They forgot. And so Israel, what happened is they doubted what God would do. They doubted God's presence. They doubted God's ability in that moment. And therefore, they didn't go in. They, were, they listened. So there were 12 spies that went in. Ten of them gave the unfaithful report. Two of them were faithful. Caleb and Joshua. Okay, so they listened to the 10 and God said, okay, here's what's going to happen. 40 years of wandering. Notice they do a Yui and turn back south. And now they're going to wander for 40 years because they were in for 40 days. One year for every day you were in, the spies were in the land. What happens in that time is the entire generation alive in Numbers 13 dies off. So it will be their offspring who will go in and take possession. You're not going to get to see the land because you didn't want to go in. The only exception will be the two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses dies off. Deuteronomy, uh, what happens, Moses dies off. He passes the baton of leadership to Joshua. Now, Joshua has led them through the 40 years of wandering. They're up now. They're up at the upper right there, the east, above the Dead Sea, on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, right across from Canaan. So now they're not going to enter from the south, but the east. And they're on the shore of the river across from the city of Jericho. And that's where the book of Joshua starts. Now, before we dig in, I need to do a little bit of a sidebar. Because what's going to happen is this nation of people, they're going to go in, they're going to conquer the land and inhabit it. And that is offensive to our modern sensibilities. Not to all people groups, but... To us today, that offends a lot of people, which is kind of weird because, listen, maps are redrawn all the time. You understand, like, countries' borders change just in our lifetime, well, at least in my lifetime. But So the top is the Soviet Union. The bottom is Russia. That's just 30 years. In just 30 years. And right now you've got Russia and Ukraine. The border's changing. Borders change. That's just 30 years. What if we dial it back 2,000 years? Here is the Roman Empire. This is 2,000 years ago. Uh, let me ask, anyone been to France? It's not on that map. Have you been to Ireland? Not there. Spain? Not there. Portugal? Not there. I could keep going. All these countries you take for granted weren't there. And that's just 2,000 years ago. 
What if we dial back 4,000 years? It was approximately 4,000 years ago in Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham settled in Canaan and the Jews have been there on and off ever since. And God said, I will give you this land. Of course, they did dip out for uh, a brief period because of famine and slavery. (laughs) Go figure, right? It was about 400 years they were gone at that point. One of the things the Bible tells us is that during that time, what God was doing was giving the other inhabitants of Canaan time to repent. He's being very patient. I mean, 400 years, that's really patient of God. But repent of what? In Leviticus 18, God lists some sins. Like, there's a lot of things that's like, hey, don't do this and don't do that. But then there are some God's like, no, really, really. Don't do these things. Like what? Child sacrifice. Okay, like, like you've got your pagan God and you will take your young child and kill your child in honor of your God. Don't do that. Incest. Bestiality. And homosexuality. These are listed in there. God says, don't do these things. Now, the thing is that the Canaanites were not only doing these things, they were proudly, brazenly, openly, like all of them, like, this is awesome. Child sacrifice, yay. Like, this is what they were doing. And so if you look at Leviticus 18, 24 and following, look at this. God said, this is how the nations I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled so that I punished it for its sin. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. It's a graphic image. All these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you and the land became defiled. So as we have the Israelites going in to the land, we have two things going on simultaneously. One, God is providing a place to live for an oppressed people group recently freed from slavery. Secondly, God is rendering judgment. He's been 400 years patient. Now he's rendering corporate punishment on these people, all of whom were guilty. God worked both together because he's the great chess master. He can pull those things off. That's what's going on. All right. Sidebar over. Now, back to our map. So they're up on above the Dead Sea to the east of Canaan across the Jordan River. And again, they need intel. So they're going to send in spies again. This time they send in two spies. Remember last time they sent in 12, only two were faithful. They're like, hey, let's go with two. <laughs> two are, maybe we'll bat a thousand on this one. So they sent in two. We don't know how they got in, likely crossed in a boat or something like that because of the Jordan River. They get in there. And remember last time the spies gave an unfaithful report. Israel was unfaithful as a whole nation and they got disciplined for that. Now they get a mulligan. They get a do-over. How's it going to go down? So the spies enter from the east. The first city they would encounter is called Jericho. Jericho was a very large, very fortified, impregnable city, right? But they they get there and they got to spy this thing out. How are we going to do this? But they need a place to stay. So they they come up with an ingenious plan. They stay at a prostitute's house. That's actually really smart. If you think, I've never been to a prostitute's house, going on record, okay? But 
But if you think about it, like that's a place where strange men come and go and nobody asks any questions. Great place for spies to stay. And so they do. And her name was Rahab. And she came to faith in God. And here's what she would say. Joshua 2, verse 9 and following. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Heavens above, earth, that's everything. Okay, he's God. And even she and other Canaanites, they knew about the Red Sea. They knew that Yahweh is God. And she came to faith. What that means is God is merciful and compassionate. When there is faith and repentance. That's important. So here you have Rahab. Rahab's a horrible sinner. She's a prostitute. But you know what? She also put her faith in Yahweh. And she was spared. Not only her, but her whole family as a result. And did you know, she's in the lineage of the Messiah. Matthew chapter 1 verses 5 through 6. She's an ancestor of Jesus. You go to Hebrews chapter 11, that's an entire catalog of the heroes of the Bible who had great faith in God. You know who's listed there? A prostitute named Rahab. That is super cool. She had faith in God and she's part of his people. So what happens then is the spies return and they give a report. This time it's going to go down differently than back in Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 13. There are some similarities. The Kenyanites are still very strong. They have large fortified cities. You know what? There are giants in the land. Literally giants in the land. And they're still there. But. But now they're going to remember their God. As Rahab remembered, she knew what God did in the past, so she knew what he could do in the future. Therefore, they're going to know, they're going to go, this is our God. They're going to remember. Is God faithful? Yes. Is he with us? Yes. Is he able? Yes. Is he trustworthy? Yes. And so they're going to be faithful like Rahab. In fact, I wonder. I wonder if that was part of the spies' report. Like when they got back, they said, hey, uh, we met this Canaanite prostitute, and she trusts in Yahweh. So if a Canaanite prostitute trusts in Yahweh, maybe we should too, right? And so maybe, I don't know. Still, nonetheless, for the Jews to enter Canaan, they have to cross the Jordan River. And and that's kind of a big deal. Because now you're not talking two spies maybe in a boat. You have an entire nation of people with all their possessions that have to get across this big river. How will that happen? So now we're into Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks 
throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. Let me give this to you. There you are. Okay. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Sound familiar? It's kind of like the Red Sea. God did it again. He can do it once. He can do it twice. Now, it mentions in there, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. People, this is not Indiana Jones. Okay, like, this is a magical item or something, right? What it is is a box. That's all it is, a box. Well, it's a special box. That box contained carns, trail markers, symbols of God's presence, his provision, his faithfulness, his goodness to the people of Israel. They were reminders. And so there they are on the edge of this rushing river. Now remember what it said in there about the river. This was the time of year when it overflows its banks. So there were times when you could like wade across it and ford that stream. But this isn't like knee deep or waist. This, it's now over 10 feet deep, 100 feet wide. And that thing is coursing. It's just rushing. And you're at the edge of it going, ah, this, we're all going to drown. No bueno. But here's the thing. They can see the river, but they can also see the ark. They can see the ark. They can see the rushing river. Are they going to trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God that they know what he's done in the past? Or are they going to fear the river? They can see the ark and they can see the river. Which one's going to have their attention? And that's the battle that they are wrestling with at that moment. Now, remember stacking stones? (laughs) What? Where did that go? Like this whole thing is about stacking stones and we, there's been nothing about, okay, so here we go. Here's what happened as they crossed the river in Joshua chapter four. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 representative dudes are going to grab like this big old rock. Remember, they're carrying all their stuff. They don't need extra baggage, right? Hey, why don't you just pick up a random boulder along the way? Like that's the idea in the river. And so 12 guys now are shouldering stones and that is weird. Like why? Because when they get to the other side, they're going to set up a carn. They're going to mark the path. So that those who come after don't forget what God has done. You got to remember these things. In fact, Joshua is specific about that. So here's where we've been driving this whole message. Chapter 4, verse 20. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
That was not a trail monkey setting up some random stack of 12 stones unnecessarily. That was a necessary card. That was a trail marker marking out the path saying, remember and proclaim. Catch those two words because those are in here. He's saying, remember and proclaim. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. First, remember. This is all about remember. God is saying, listen, Israel, listen, during the Exodus, when you came to the Red Sea, and and the reason you were able to trust me then is because I did all those plagues, and you remembered the plagues, so you knew I could do the Red Sea. And now when you come up to the Jordan, the reason you know I can do the Jordan thing is because you remembered the Red Sea. But let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go through the river. You're going to get to the other side. You know what's going to happen? You're going to face Jericho. Jericho is impregnable. It is scary. You're going to be freaking out. You're going to doubt. You're going to say, God, where are you? God, can you do this? And you know what you need to do? You got to remember. You got to take a stack of stones and set it up so that you remember, I can do this. You got to remember in the present and in the future what God has already done in the past. Let me say that again. You got to remember in the present and in the future what God has already done in the past. Otherwise, you're going to get lost. And so you say to your children, listen, these stones were buried underneath. They ought to be buried under a river, but you know what? They're here stacked up and dry. You know why? Because our God is with us and our God is able. When we face hard things, we have to remember what God has already done so that we have faith today and tomorrow based on what he did yesterday. We have to remember that. Unfortunately, I think we have something called spiritual amnesia. We have spiritual amnesia. We fret in the present because we forget what God's already done in the past. We forget that he's with us. We forget what he's like. I think one of the greatest enemies of faith is forgetfulness. We just forget. I mean, the Israelites are like the prime example. You read the Old Testament, and I'll tell you what, the Israelites are idiots. Over and over. And we're reading their story, pulling our hair out. Like God did that, and he did that, and he did that, and you're going to doubt him now? But you know what? The problem is bigger than the Israelites. We are they. They are us. It's us. That's our story. That's what we do. God provided. God healed. God did this. God did that. And now we get to this moment. We're like, well, where's God? What's he going to do? And we forget. We have spiritual amnesia. You know what we need to do? We need to stack some stones so that we don't forget. And I've got carns in my life. Times I've had to stack some stones. I remember when I was in the middle of college. Actually, no, it was my freshman year. And and I was wrestling with, am I going to actually walk with Jesus? Because I'm not, but I know I want to. And it was tearing me up. I was on a beach on spring break. And I started praying, God, I need help. I need you to send some, because I can't do this. And then through the summer, the very next fall, a guy showed up at my little campus saying, I want to mentor some young men in the faith of Christ. Stack of stone. God provided. God provided. Got married. Uh, Shannon and I were having miscarriages 
left and right. And we had two and we're, we're like, are we ever going to be able to hold our children? People prayed. We got Caleb, stack of stone. And I'll tell you what, like Redemption Chapel, man, we, we started out as a campus of another church. And I'll tell you now, that was a very difficult, painful phase. It was really hard. And yet God brought us through and now we've got Redemption Chapel and she's not perfect, but dang, she's gorgeous. Stack of stone. And through, as the ministry has grown, there, our staff team grows. Sometimes people leave. Praise God, not often. We don't have much turnover. And that's a healthy culture. I love that God has built that. Awesome. But when a staff member tells me that he's going to leave or she's going to leave, I freak out. God, are you kidding me? God, what are we going to do? God's like, son, (laughs) would you look at the sack of stones? And lo and behold, every time it gets better. And God just provides. And I've already told you, our, leading our kids through the teen years, we were wrecked. And now they're walking with Jesus. One's married. One's about to be like stack of stone. Now here I am in 2024, and I guarantee you there are giants in the land. This year, something's going to hurt. And in that moment, I'm going to be tempted to go, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, do you have a plan? Son, look at the stack of stones. Remember, you've got to remember. God had the Israelites stack some stones so they wouldn't forget the way. That they would know that the way they got from where they were to where they are is that God led an entire nation through a raging river during flood season and they walked through on dry ground. And therefore, they would not fret today and tomorrow because they knew what God did yesterday. Now, here's the question. What's he done in your life? How has he been present? How has he been, has has he provided, been faithful to you? Your stories are going to vary in details. Some are going to feel miraculous. Some are going to feel mundane. But I guarantee you this. If you're here today, God's done something to bring you to this point. You got here in some way, probably a lot of somethings some way that he's been providing for you and I want you to stack some stones. I want each of you this week to spend some time in reflection. Start the year this way. What has God done already in my life to get me to this point? Journal, if you're if you write in a notebook or on a keyboard, whatever, journal, what has God done to get me here? Maybe it's a post-it note on your mirror or on your desk. Or maybe you literally go get some stones and stack them as a reminder. One caveat. Do not touch the stones on our property. Okay, like I'm just imagining 1,500 people leaving here going, oh, look at these. Fill my pockets. We'll come out the bare beds. Where'd they all go? Well, pastor, you said. Okay, so let me be clear. Leave our stones alone. All right, don't touch this. But maybe you go get some and, and stack them up. Remember, the point is this. You, are, you need to fight spiritual amnesia. You need to step out in faith this week, this month, the whole year. And in order to do that, you've got to remember what God has done. He is with you. He is able. He's shown it already. You've got to remember. Stack some stones. But I told you it's not just remember. It's also proclaim. 
Because if you look at the passage, that it's clearly in there. We're supposed to tell others. So I imagine from this that maybe 20 years after this happened, there's some young Jewish dad who's walking through Gilgal National Park with his, his son. And the, and the little guy says, hey, dad, what's with that stack of stones over there? Oh, son, I am so glad you asked. Let me tell you what God did for us. That's part of stacking stones is to proclaim it. It's not just about you. Your journal entry, your post-it note, your stack of stones that you didn't take from our property. Those things, you think they're there to remind you uh, of the goodness in your life. They're there to remind you of the goodness of God. And not just you, but to proclaim it to others. Think about cards. When people marked that trail and set up those stacks of stones... They didn't do it for them. They did it for those who would come next, that they wouldn't get lost, that they would know the way. Now, for us, it plays out a little bit differently for the Jews. In Judaism, the main way you get in is through birth. You're born in. But in Christianity, the way you get in is by rebirth, new birth, faith. Therefore, while the Jews told their children, yeah, we'll tell our kids, but we tell everybody. We tell everybody. Now, one of the ways then that you can stack stones this week is to tell others a story or several stories of the way God has been faithful to you in the past. Maybe in a way that shocked you. Be honest, be real, be transparent. Tell them you were freaking out. Tell them you were angry at God. Tell them you doubted. People love honest, humble stories of faith. And then tell them how God provided and you were shocked as anyone else. I mean, they're looking at your life. Like, why in the world do you get up early, get on your knees, speak to the ceiling and read from a big book? That's weird. Why do you not sleep in on Sunday, but you come here? Why do we gather as a big crowd and sing together? That's weird. Why? Why do we live differently than our neighbors? Why do we know, grow, and go so that we can be worshipers, disciples, and missionaries? Why? It's because our God is good. It's because our God is good. He's faithful. He's worth it. And so can I just tell you what he's done in my life? That's stacking stones. And so I want you to do that this week. Maybe you'll go on social media, get your phone, take a a cheesy little video of just you telling about how God's been faithful in your life and and post it. Or maybe you get together one-on-one with somebody who doesn't know much about God. You take them out to lunch, you pay, and you say, hey, can I just tell you what God's done in my life? That's stacking stones. Remember And proclaim both. Remember and proclaim. See, it wasn't just to remind ourselves, but it was to proclaim the goodness of God. And this completely makes sense. You know why? Because God is not here to serve us. He created us to serve him. And so those stacks of stones are pointers to the goodness and the glory of God. In fact, your life, you are a walking stack of stones. You're just there to point to the glory and goodness of God and what he's done for you. So I want you to do two things this week. One, I want you to stack some stones yourself so that you remember all that God's already done. So that you have faith in the future because of what God's already done in the past. But then secondly, I want you to proclaim it. I want you to tell others what God has 
done. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, listen, Pastor Rick, I have never seen God split a river. Yeah, neither have I. I, I. I haven't either. But listen, that was a miracle. You understand miracle, the definition of it, it, it implies that it is rare. If God split the river every week, they didn't need to stack stones. Why stack stones when he's just going to do it again on Friday? He just does it all the time. We don't need to remember. He'll do it again. No, you got to remember because it was rare. It was rare. So sometimes what God does is he splits rivers. Sure, but sometimes we got to wade in. Sometimes we got to swim. Sometimes we got to row. Sometimes we got to go around. Either way, God is leading us forward in providing and we're grateful. So we're called to lean into the presence and the goodness of God, whether it's mundane or miraculous, either way, because he has provided in the past and we need to remember that for the future. And I'll tell you what, if nothing else, I'll tell you what he's done for you already. He's done the cross and the resurrection. Stack some stones. In fact, you know what this is right here? This is a carn. Communion is a carn. It's, we remember and proclaim. Remember what Jesus said. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did for you because it's going to be hard. There's giants in the land and you got to know if I did this for you, come on. Do this in remembrance of me and then at the end, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're supposed to proclaim it. And so what we have is a savior who led us as a people through the waters of sin and death. We went through on dry ground because he bought it with his own blood and he's taken us to the promised land. And therefore our God has already proved his presence. He's already proved his provision. He doesn't have to prove it to us again. We have this carn right here. And we know he's with us and we can trust him. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we come to you right now and I I admit to you that I am probably the worst of this in the room. Um, All of us are just like the Israelites in the sense that we tend to have spiritual amnesia. We forget you've been so incredibly good. And then we hit something hard and we, we freak out. Father God, I want to ask that this week, you among my people, that you would lead us to stack some stones, that we would know who you are, we would know you're with us, we would know what you've done, and so we would not have spiritual amnesia, but we would trust you today and tomorrow because of what you've done yesterday. And then, Lord, lead us to proclaim it, for you are good. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.